You've heard me talk about Morning Kick, used by former karate champion Chuck Norris. It's a daily drink from Roundhouse Provisions that combines ultra-potent greens like spirulina and kale with probiotics, prebiotics, collagen, and even ashwagandha. Just mix with water, stir, and enjoy. Unlike other green drinks out there, this one tastes similar to strawberry lemonade, and I enjoy it. I know I don't eat as many vegetables as I should, but Morning Kick has helped me make up for that, and I feel great. I have more energy and better digestion. It's an easy part of my morning routine. My wife started taking it as well. Go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris for up to 44% off your regular priced order. Plus, every purchase is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee. So if you want to experience smoother digestion, a boost of energy, and just an overall healthier body, then go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris today. Hey, everyone. Uh, I know it's dark. Sorry about that. This is the only time I had today to have a few minutes to set aside to do this video. But a few people reached out to me about an article that popped up in the Atlantic last week by Peter, I think it's Wehner, uh, W-E-H-N-E-R, maybe Wiener. Anyway, it's um, called The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart. That's the title. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's kind of long, but I will discuss it. I listened to it earlier. I was trying to organize my office. I, hopefully, it'll be up and running next week. So I was starting to get some unpacked books and, and that kind of thing. And so um, I actually had my phone read it to me as I was doing that. So I, I kind of get the gist of it. We'll read some sections from it. Um, and I also want to let you know, a few of you asked uh, me to comment on the Virginia election and what just happened there. So I'll leave those thoughts till the end after we talk about uh, this article. And I think there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, yes, tomorrow I'm going to get on a plane and fly to Colorado and then drive. Uh, someone's going to pick me up actually and, and take me. Uh, to Nebraska. So um, if you want to know where I'm going to be, you can go to worldviewconversation.com and uh, the right hand corner, upper right side where the tabs are, you can see where I'm going to be if you're in the area and would like to come out and see me. I would love that. I'll be speaking, I think, a few sessions on Saturday and then also Sunday morning. And uh, and the last thing, last but not least, before we get to this article, I uh, just wanted to encourage you all, please go ahead and share American Monument, the documentary. I mean, this is, we, we, we did put some work into this to try to get some of the interviews uh, that we got. And um, I think it's a really great tool, especially for homeschoolers. But even if you're not a homeschooler, I think uh, it'll at the very least get you to think. And we're representing a side of the story that is not told, even in most conservative media circles, uh, for a variety of reasons, among which probably is fear. So uh, go check that out, American Monument, Last Stand Studios. Go ahead and subscribe on YouTube and on Rumble, the Last Stand Studios. If you're interested in more uh, projects like this, uh, we do have more we want to do. And, um, you know, it, we're really dependent on whatever money we can raise. That's how, we, uh, that's how we're able to do what we do. So anyway, laststandstudios.org uh, is the website. And then, of course, you can go to YouTube, Last Stand Studios, and check out... Uh, the the documentary American Monument. So just want to push that. Please share it. Like I said, please leave a comment. It helps the algorithm. Uh, I'm pretty sure YouTube doesn't like that channel. So uh, if you write an article about it or just a few thoughts and say, hey, I saw this documentary, even if you don't put the link up there, you know, um, it, it makes a difference. It may even go farther because I'm pretty sure Facebook doesn't doesn't care for things from uh, that YouTube channel. 
All right, so let's get to the uh, main course here. We're going to talk about uh, this article in The Atlantic, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart by Peter uh, Wenner. And um, let, let's just start at the beginning here. Uh, all right, so he, he starts with David Platt, talks about a small group of people inside um, and outside a ch this church. I see, I think he's quoting Platt there. Let me start earlier here. Um, okay. So we'll start here. Um, the election, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. The election of the elders of an evangelical church is usually an uncontroversial event, uh, even a unifying event. But this summer, at an influential mega church in Northern Virginia, something went badly wrong. A trio of elders didn't receive 75% of the vote, the threshold necessary to be installed. I'm wondering if, is McLean still, if someone goes to McLean, please leave a comment. Is it still a mega church? I know that so many people have left. I guess they have, it'd be hard. They, they have multiple campuses. So, um, so he says, a small group of people inside and outside the church coordinated a divisive effort to use disinformation in order to persuade others to vote these men down as part of a broader effort to take control of this church. And that's a quote from David Platt. And Platt said the church members uh, had been missiled, uh, having been told, among other things, that the three individuals nominated to be elders would advocate selling the church building to Muslims, who would convert it into a mosque. In his second vote on July 18th, all three nominees cleared the threshold, but that hardly resolved the conflict. Members of the church filed a lawsuit claiming that the conduct of the election violated the church's constitution. Platt, who is theologically conservative, had been accused in the months before the vote by a small but zealous group within his church of wokeness and being left of center of pushing a social justice agenda and promoting critical race theory and of attempting to purge conservative members. A Facebook page and a right-wing website have targeted Platt and his leadership for his part. Platt, speaking to his congregation, described an email that was circulating claiming uh, McLean Bible Church is no longer McLean Bible Church, it's now Melanin Bible Church. What happened at McLean Bible Church is happening all over the evangelical world. Influential figures such as Russell Moore uh, and Beth Moore felt compelled to leave the Southern Baptist Convention. Both were targeted by right-wing elements within the SBC. Uh, all right, so I'm going to actually stop here because this, so much of this, uh, the, the way that it's even framed from the beginning, it gets much worse, but the way it's framed is uh, very one-sided. And the, the assumption, if you keep reading the article, you'll figure this out really quick. The assumption is that there is um, a misguided uh, group of people, and it's a small group. They try to marginalize this group. Right? It's really just not that influential, but they, they have, actually, I should say they are influential, but their influence is beyond their actual numbers. So there's, there's a group of people that's insignificant, but somehow influential. And they are, you know, wrecking, wreaking havoc in the evangelical world all over the place, uh, not just at McLean. And they're making all kinds of false accusations. And they're politically motivated. That's the main thing you're going to see in this article is if you keep reading it. They're all politically motivated. Uh, this isn't a theological issue that they have. It's, it's that uh, they're watching too much Fox News. They're listening to too many podcasts. I kid you not. He talks about that. Uh, they're just not at in church enough. You know, if they were in church um, getting uh, catechized, that's the word that's used in the article, by uh, the, the, their pastor and people that want them to be godly, they wouldn't have this problem, but they're just too political. So that's kind of the whole 
it, you can already see the framing of who the victims are just in the first few paragraphs. It's Russell Moore, it's Beth Moore, it's Ed Stetzer, if you keep reading, it's David Platt. It's, it's the social justice-minded um, advocates in evangelicalism that are the victims of a mob after them. Now, of course, it's, it's kind of like the opposite of that, actually. Um, and this is the interesting thing to me. So there's a, there's a pass given if it's a conservative that gets uh, kind of the mob treatment, right? If it's a Paige Patterson, it doesn't matter. If it's a John MacArthur, it doesn't really matter. If it's, uh, in this case, um, I'm thinking of uh, the gentleman who just ran for the Southern Baptist Convention president, Mike uh, Stone. Uh, that doesn't really matter. There's not going to be stories about him. If it's Tom Askell, that doesn't really matter. Uh, it, it really only matters if it's uh, someone who is on the left more within evangelicalism. Then it's a mob. And it's not like the mob, if there is such a thing, brought this up. It's, it's the leaders like Platt who started changing the message, who started introducing things in church that had not been introduced before. And they were the political things. That's the irony of this whole article is the political things didn't start with this small group of people who uh, is, you know, insignificant but yet influential. It's not that. It's people responding and reacting to the politics that's coming into their pulpit. And so the problem is with an article like this, um, there's a, a standard that th there's an assumed standard that one must, uh, if one is to be a Christian, a good faithful Christian, one must not be catechized by Fox News or podcasts or political influences. One must be more spiritual and theological and uh, push for unity in their church and all these kinds of things. Uh, that, that's the, the real attitude. That winsomeness is what we, we really want. And people who are devoid of this because uh, they're listening to these outside angry voices, fearful voices, are causing all the problems. Uh, the shoe is never put on the other foot. There, there is, uh, there's, the hard questions aren't asked of David Platt. Uh, the, the benefit of the doubt is forever given to them. And, and this is, it proves the point that I think myself and a number of others have been making for quite some time, which is that these folks that are going leftward in evangelicalism are on the same side as the secular elites. They're actually signaling to them their, uh, their allegiance, in a sense. And the secular elites reward them for this. They're, they're not actually practicing journalism. And, and we've seen a few articles like this. So uh, I, I am saying that there is a group of people like this. They're, they don't practice journalism. They just take the side of the, um, the evangelical elites who are pushing the social justice agenda. And they, they don't really care to hear from the other side. Um, and, and it reminds me a little bit of when Jesus told the Pharisees that you, you bind these burdens on other people, but you don't carry them yourselves. You're not willing to lift your own finger, but you're telling them that they have to do this, that, and the other thing. And it's the same kind of double standard you see in articles like this. I realize there's probably a lot more I could, I should read from this, but it's so long. I, I, I just, I wanted to, to let, let you know, at least I read it and at least I'm giving some comment on it. Let, let me see if I can find you a few more, uh, good sound bites, uh, from this article that illustrate some of what I'm saying. Um, talks, they talked to George Marsden. How is it that evangelical Christianity has become for, for too many of its adherents, a political religion? 
The historian George Martin told me that political loyalties can sometimes be so strong that they can uh, create a religious-like faith that overrides or even transforms a more traditional religious faith. The United States has largely avoided the most virulent uh, expressions of such political ex uh, religions. None has succeeded for very long, at least until now. The first step was the cultivation of the idea within the religious right that certain political positions were deeply Christian, according to Marsden. Still, such claims were not at all unprecedented in American history. Through the 2000s, even through the religious right, uh, though the religious right drew its energy from the culture wars as it had for decades, it abided by some civil restraints. Then came Donald Trump. So here's the thing. Uh, it's actually the opposite. The social justice uh, movement is a religion. That's what I argue in so, uh, Christianity and Social Justice. You can go to ChristianityAndSocialJustice.com if you want a copy of that. And um, I think I effectively argue it, that actually the religion is com the political religion is coming from the left. It's not coming from the right. Is it possible to have uh, right-wing elements in a political religion? Sure. But the situation, this is a big misreading of the situation. The situation right now is Christians going to church, doing what they've always done, operating by, by their habits, and then there's a wrench thrown into the gear system, and it's the social justice religion. And then they react to it, and they're immediately vilified for this reaction, and they're the ones that are told that they have a political religion. Uh, and, and it's the cultivation of ideas. Um, uh, within the religious right, that certain political positions are deeply Christian. Well, here's the thing. Some, and that's not even the right way to frame this. Some political positions are in keeping with or consistent with Christianity, while others are not. That, who argues with that? But apparently, it, the framing of this is that it, it's the politics first, then the Christianity. That's why this is all happening. It's, it's, there's a group of people that have their allegiance is to Donald Trump first, then to Jesus, right? And, and this has been going on, uh, if you read my book, Social Justice Goes to Church, this has been going on since at least the 60s. Uh, this is the same um, arguments over and over and over again, just repackaged again. This It's a civil religion. The right wing is creating this civil religion. And uh, they're not being true to the religion of Jesus Christ, which we leftists, who we, we just take all our political ideas and we couch them in gospel terminology and call them gospel issues, uh, you know, we don't have that problem. That's the assumption. And this reporter uh, seems to be incapable or perhaps unwilling to actually uh, look under the hood at the theological issues that are actually at play here. It's totally surface level, this whole article, and it's totally for one purpose and one purpose alone. Vilify those who would raise any kind of cry against social justice. And he, he quotes the usual, the same group of people. Tim Keller is quoted, of course, in this. Uh, and Tim Keller, you know, and they're all, they're basically all saying the same thing. Look, there's this, this tendency, this political idolization, the conspiracy theories, fanatical ideas. I mean, you listen to the words that are being used about folks probably like you. Probably some of you who are listening to this right now. Um, hey, you think that maybe there's something a little funny about what Fauci's been saying and the contradictions? You think there maybe was something funny about that election? You think uh, perhaps something doesn't add up? Uh, well, hey, you, you know, you're just this. It's really kind of um, an extended commentary on the phrase Obama used a few years ago, the bitterly clinging to guns and religion people. That's, that's what this article is dripping with. 
just that that's what explains the motive behind people against social justice they're just they're fearful and they're afraid and they're they're prone to conspiracies which is, which means they're dumb at the same time it's every kind of evil kind of categorization they they're going to put people who oppose the social justice movement into that they're sexist um they're anyway uh so uh, Alan Jacobs uh, interviewed for this, a distinguished professor of humanities and honors at Baylor, says culture catechizes. And this is this is where I want to really drive home the point about hypocrisy and tying burdens onto people that the elites will not bear themselves. Our current political culture, Jacobs argued, has multiple technologies and platforms for catechizing. Television, radio, Facebook, Twitter, and podcasts among them. People who want to be connected to their political tribe, the people they think are like them, and the people they think are on their side, subject themselves to its catechesis all day long, every single day, hour after hour. On the flip side, many churches aren't interested in catechesis at all. They focus instead on entertainment because entertainment is what keeps people in their seats and coins in the offering plate. But as Jacobs points out, even those pastors who really are committed to catechesis uh, get to spend on average less than an hour a week teaching their people. Sermons are short. Only some churchgoers attend adult education classes and even fewer attend Bible study and small groups. Cable news, however, is always on. So if people are getting one kind of catechesis for half an hour per week, Jacobs asked, and another for dozens of hours per week, which one do you think will win out? So this is the whole, th- this is Ed Stetzer's whole line. I, and I'm convinced some of these guys call each other and they get their, you know, here, here's what we're going to come out with. This is what we're going to use to explain everything. It's Fox News's fault. It's Tucker Carlson. It's me. It's the podcast. It's it's anything but them. They are not to blame. The social justice teachers, it's not their fault. They just you know, happen to be the victims, the helpless, uh, passive victims of a mob that's after them because they're getting catechized by cable news. Oh, isn't this so horrible? Now, here's the thing. What they're doing is they're ascribing this political motive to people, and they're saying that it's the culture that's causing them to be this way. This is what I want to point out in this whole article, and I pointed this out many times before. I think I pointed out in both my, my books on social justice. The evangelical left and neo-evangelicalism in general has this posture where they think that there's this thing called culture, but they are always outside of it, trying to engage it from the outside. They're not part of culture. Now, the world, if we're talking about the world, right, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the, the world system, of course Christians are outside of that. But when you think about culture uh, and you think about all the many different ingredients that go into culture, actually churches are part of that. Your, your singing, your architecture, everything about it, there's, there's cultural elements, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a good thing. Now, um, the left, this is what the left does. They exempt themselves from cultural influence. We're not influenced by our culture. We, we are, we, we stand uh, above it, outside of it, beyond it. But those, uh, <laughs> those peasants that are causing us such an uproar, they are part of culture. Culture is controlling them. They are not strong like we are to be outside of culture. They can't engage culture because they are, they're in the midst of it. They're drinking deep from its well. And therefore, they are not objective like we are. That's the kind of attitude that I've seen over and over and over. And this article is no exception. You see it again. The whole posturing is that, you know, 
Jacobs thinks and George Marsden thinks and uh, I don't know who, whoever else is quoted in this. They they tend to think that they're on the outside. They exempt themselves from the forces that they believe are dividing the church, and it's not them. It, it's kind of this, uh, you know, we're going to th- this whole burden is put on the working class people who tend to be political conservative that they ought not be political. But there's an exception made if you are on the right side of the social justice fight. You know, you're really not influenced by culture. Uh, there's so many things. I, I'm not even like, probably like 10% through this article. Uh, like I said, it's so long. Let's just skip ahead. Uh, it talks about fear. Fear has played a central role in the explosion of conflict with the American evangelical church. Dwelling on fear and outrage is spiritually deforming. So it's saying that these, again, it, it's casting every negative motive at anyone who would take a stand against the social justice movement. Um, and that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. I don't really have a lot more I think I want to say about this piece. Um, let's go to the last the conclusion here. I believe the portrait I painted in this essay is accurate, but it is also a necessary incomplete. Countless acts of kindness, generosity, and self-giving love are performed every day by people precisely because they are Christians. This is kind of like the escape hatch at the end. Hey, uh, I said all these horrible things, but at the end, like, look, listen, you know, there, there's some, you know, I'm not all, all one-sided on this. Their lives have been changed and in some uh, cases transformed by their faith. My own life has been immeasurably blessed by people of faith who have walked the journey f- uh, with me, who have shown me grace and encouraged me in difficult moments. But I can recognize that while while also recognizing the wreckage around us, something has gone amiss. Pastors know it as well as anyone and better than most. The Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus who won their hearts and who long ago won mine needs to be reclaimed. So that's the assumption is, look, he's accusing them of not being Christians. On some level, they are they don't have Jesus, right? I mean, that's pretty strong accusations. They don't have Jesus. These people that are taking these stands against social justice, uh, they're they're not on the right side. Uh, I mean, it just there's so many disgusting things in this. Mark Knowles, ninety ninety four book, evangelical. The scandal of the evangelical mind is going to be re released, and he's going to add stuff about apparently, among other things, COVID. Yes. <laughs> um, you have, let's see, what else? There's this whole section in here just railing against the South and that, you know, this it's the Southern culture has basically influenced evangelicalism too much and that's what's created sexism and racism, which, and, and fundamentalism is part of this. And it's, 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 it's written by someone who has no clue what they're talking about historically. It's just, it's nonsense. Um, I mean, like, there's actually a good lecture. You can probably go, I don't know where you find it. You might be going to go to the Abbeville Institute website and find it, Sam Smith does a great, um, he has a great talk on uh, fundamentalism and how it's actually, fundamentalism is a, a re, it comes out of revivalism, but it was actually more of a northern um, tradition that uh, eventually went south because of cheaper uh, Bible schools were established in the south because there was cheaper land and that kind of thing. But it's not, it, it's actually traces more back to Puritanism. Uh, which is a more northeastern thing. It's not un- it's not like a uniquely southern thing at all. And and to think, you know, it talks about like white supremacy that's affecting evangelicals from the south. Yeah, that wasn't that never was something that was unique to the south though. That was um, north and south. So it, it's just historically this is a mess. Uh, the Jesus and John Wayne stuff comes up. He's the, you know, that. By the way, some people have asked me about it. I did start reading that book and I got like two pages in and I was like, this is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read. Now, uh, and that was that was probably I don't know six months ago at least. 
now I realize it's become really popular, which I was kind of almost surprised about because I thought it was just written kind of poorly. I thought it was terrible. There were so many errors just in the two pages I read. I may have to read it and do a review. So if people want that, uh, leave a comment. Maybe I'll do a review of Jesus and John Wayne. But um, but anyways, I mean, he it's like this guy kind of knows what's up. Uh, this this reporter, he he kind of he he's got the major leftist players are in this, um, and and he got you know the the quotes from them, and he frames this whole thing like I said to blame the conservatives, uh, Peter Peter Wenner or Weiner, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but he he seems to know something. Uh, a little something about the uh, battle that's going on. And he's enlisting his help with mainstream media support uh, for the evangelical leftists. And that should come as no surprise. They're on the same basic side. So uh, that's all I have to say about that article. Um, okay, the election. Some people ask me about, what do you think about the election in Virginia? Here's the thing. Because um, I, I was kind of critical of Glenn Youngkin months ago. The, and the reason for those who are new listeners, the reason I was critical was because Glenn Youngkin uh, signed a statement. He was the first signature at his church that he committed to reading Be the Bridge, which is critical race theory. And I have a whole podcast on Be the Bridge. It's critical race theory, no doubt about it. And he gave to the Southern Poverty Law Center last year and the Equal Justice Initiative, both blatantly pro-CRT. And I, I realize Glenn Youngkin keeps saying, you know, we're not going to have CRT in the schools. And, and it's like, I hope he changed his mind, but we're talking only about a year ago, a little over a year ago, that he was ha had a completely different tune. People usually don't change that quick. And of course, he's never, um, he's never like actually given an explanation for why, uh, for the other things, in including, I mean, even the Breitbart piece where they're trying to, def his campaign is defending uh, the whole thing with um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, they forget about the Equal Justice Initiative. And it, they, they have to kind of assume that Glenn Youngkin, as a CEO at Carlisle, just was so ignorant and dumb, like he just it, this somehow escaped his notice. It's like, okay, well, even if that's true, um, why did he commit to reading Be the Bridge? Like, th there's something off with Glenn Youngkin. So then I find out that not only the NRA, but another gun rights organization reached out to him in the primary and the general for, hey, we want to know your position on guns. He won't give it. Then he's caught on a hot mic telling someone, look, I can't really come out as like too pro-life because I want to win the election. But yeah, and it was a pro-life person. Yeah, you know, I am pro-life. Ashamed of that. Then you go to YouTube and you type in Glenn Youngkin World Economic Forum and you find out he's at Davos. He's in, I think it was Davos. He's at the World Economic Forum meeting in like 2018 or 19, pretty recently, talking about how the United States needs to be dependent on China. And that's a good thing. It's like, okay, that's the opposite of what Trump said when he went there. Then you find out that Glenn Youngkin was trying his best to... Um, he didn't want Trump to come and campaign for him. He wanted to distance himself. He was completely silent on the monument stuff going on just recently in Virginia. And then, unfortunately, I know a little bit about the behind the scenes, and that stuff's even worse. And so here's the thing about Glenn Youngkin. Um, he has ambitions to run for president. He has already said this, apparently. If that's true, then I would expect him to not go as far left as he probably believes. I mean, look, he was praising Terry McAuliffe, who he ran against up until very recently. They use that in attack ads against him. So he, he may have even been a Democrat, who I don't know, uh, up until recently. Uh, and of course, the Carlisle group's not, not even, I know Trump said it was a great group, but the little, go look up Carlisle group online and just see if you think it's a great group. I, I suspect Glenn Youngkin's kind of a corrupt guy. 
I, it's not, it's more than a suspicion. It just, it seems obvious to me. This, this guy's not a principled guy. He's not a consistent guy. He may be a charming guy, but he's, he may be a great reset governor. Now, if he has ambitions to run for president, he may not go as far left as he otherwise would. That's maybe the silver lining in all this. But I expect him, the effect of this, I think, is that the Republican Party of Virginia is going to go left as a whole. They, you're not going to have a conservative presence as much anymore. I think that's, it's going to, it, it, and it sends this signal across the country. And it, by the way, I already read an article in The Blaze that basically was to this effect. It sends a signal across the country that uh, we don't need Don, the Donald Trump types anymore. We need the Glenn Youngkin types. We need, you know, that moderate kind of Republican, that nice Republican. In fact, this article in The Blaze was like, you know, Glenn Youngkin's a strong Christian. This person, like he goes to a church that performs gay weddings, that praised Ruth Bader Ginsburg on their social media when she died because she fought against injustice. Is a very liberal church that Glenn Youngkin goes to. And, um, and so the... The idea that he's just this strong Christian and his Christianity was what kept him respectful and Donald Trump doesn't have any of that. We need more Glenn Youngkins and less Donald Trumps. This person doesn't understand. It probably hasn't done the research on Youngkin to realize, uh, yeah, maybe his, he's more charming with his words, but it's, it's not an orthodox Christianity that he's advocating. Um, I mean, at best, it's just as, as, you know, as good as Trump's version of Christianity, which, you know, is, uh, is not really much of a Christianity at all. It's, it's a tradition. It's a cultural Christianity. They both have a cultural Christianity. Glenn Youngkins is more on the left. So um, the, the, this, the idea is already out there, and conservative uh, political pundits and then moderates, of course, in the Republican Party are loving that. We need more Glenn Youngkins. Glenn Youngkin can win, and that's kind of what I fear about this. Like I said, though, there is a silver lining. Maybe he won't govern as far left as he actually is because he does have ambitions to run for president. And, and, you know, certainly on some things, I'm sure he'll probably be better than Terry McAuliffe would have been. But you may still get your great reset Republican governor in Virginia. I hate to break that. Some people have asked me about what about the lieutenant governor, right? She's more conservative. Uh, I don't know as much about her. I'm assuming so. Here's the thing, though. Lieutenant governors in Virginia generally don't have a lot of influence or, or power unless the governor uses them for certain things. So it's really dependent on Glenn Youngkin, uh, what Winsome Sears, you know, is going to do. Um, I did see one person posted something. Hey, why doesn't the evangelical left like Winsome Sears? I mean, literally, she's a black female and her name is Winsome. And I thought that was pretty funny. But it does, that does show you that Republicans in Virginia, they're not these horrible racist people that they're made out to be. They just voted in a black female lieutenant governor. So just think about that for a moment. So uh, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe it'll be better than, you know, let's, let's hope it's, it's better than the, um, the, based on what I know, what it could be. Uh, but, you know, I do have some concerns about what happened in Virginia. And, you know, I, either way, I knew it wasn't going to be a great um, outcome. So we'll just have to see. And God's in control, and we just have to trust him through it. And if you're in Virginia, then, hey, try to hold Yunkin's feet to the fire wherever you can. Remind him. Uh, about some of the things he even said on the campaign that were more conservative. So uh, that's all I have to say about that. Hope to see some of you in Nebraska over the weekend. Uh, God bless. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. 
but nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.